I'm going to uh, do something I have never done in this church before today, Um, and it's a bit of a risk, and um, I'm going to trust that God will meet us, because I don't have a script this morning. Uh, I am quite script-bound. That's why if you've been looking for a a thing to read read while I'm preaching, you you haven't got one today, and there won't be one today, because I don't actually know exactly what I'm going to say in what order. I've done that deliberately. It's not a cop-out, uh, although you might decide that you prefer a script <laughs> next week or the week after. Um, but I'm going to be very honest with you this morning and wrestle with you with something that I am wrestling with, which I suppose in a sense came out of my front line, which is our trip to Malawi. You've heard and you've seen pictures that they had a devastating flood 18 months ago. They're now suffering a devastating drought. One of the best experiences of my life was being part of that conference in Malawi. As I've told you, I was nervous about going because I was nervous that what I would have to say would have no relevance to people whose lives I don't understand. It turned out, funnily enough, that God was present. And um, as you've heard, apparently, I'm probably more well-known in Malawi now than I am even in Crawley. (laughs) because this guy took his stuff, he put it on the tannoy, he's taking it around to ten different villages, and they're playing it and listening to it. And uh, we trust that God can take the meagre offerings of people like us and um, do what he did with five loaves and two fish. Um, But I stood there listening to the story. One day we invited the pastors to uh, say what they'd learned from the conference, and that's always a risk, isn't it? Because they don't usually answer the question. They tell you what's most on their heart. And the first pastor who came up, quite dramatically, and with really deep emotion, reenacted trying to escape a flood. And he actually got, I mean, some of the, it was quite interesting because the children would sneak in and the adults would push them out and the children would sneak in. I don't know if they had any idea what was going on, but the children wanted to be there. And at that moment, they were there, they were in. So he went and got a child to demonstrate how they had tried to escape the flood. So he picked this child up and he put this child on his shoulders and he said, this is what we did. This is how children escaped the flood. But not all of them escaped. We heard stories of a headmaster and his son climbing one tree to escape the flood while his wife and his daughter climbed another tree to escape the flood and the wife and the daughter were unable to hold on and they fell into the river and were washed away we heard stories about people who had been up trees but couldn't hold on and were then attacked by the crocodiles who infest the river, I understand there's three million crocodiles in the river Shiri. And crocodiles will wait days for you to come down for a tree. And, and we're sitting at the front of this conference hall. You saw a picture of that conference hall. We took 13 years to build this building. I don't know how many days it took them to build that, but that was a brand new building for us. They would have put grass on the top, except there isn't any grass because there's nothing growing. So they put a tarpaulin across the top. So I'm sitting at the front of this thing and, and what's going through my mind, and this is, I'm not proud of this, I'm completely selfishly, I am thinking, in just a minute, I'm going to get after up and I'm going to speak. What on earth am I going to say? 
What have I got to offer a community? And in the end, the, the other pastors gathered around this pastor and just made him sit down. Because his emotion had got to the point where he, he, just, he was just weeping in the front. And then the second guy got up and he didn't do it quite the same, but he told a very similar sort of story. And I don't know what was going through your mind, but what was going through my mind was, what on earth do you say in response to that? So being a minister, I'm thinking, well, well, I must have to come up with some scripture. And this is where it got really, really challenging. And this is what I'm going to share with you this morning. Because my mind immediately went to a lovely passage in Isaiah. You will know it well. Let me read it to you. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That's all right. I could cope with that bit. And here's the next line. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go past through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I can't get up and read that, can I? Because the waters did sweep over them. And in the fire, they got burned. And I, I was massively struggling. Because I'm thinking, I'm a, I'm a minister and I'm supposed to know the answer. And I go to a passage which we love. You, you've heard that many times, haven't you? And you've probably always heard it in the context of it being an encouragement to you. Because it's telling you that God loves you. And that is wonderfully true. And I'll get there. Don't worry. I hang in there. But at that moment, I I had a problem, and I'm thinking, I I don't quite know how to handle that. I don't quite know how to find my way through that. What I did get up and say was, we cannot solve the problems of a drought and now a flood. But what we can do is stand with you, and we will commit to pray for you. And every Wednesday morning, when we gather here, and if you want to join us between 7 and 8, you would be most welcome We pray for those people. It's part of what we do. You don't have to be here to pray for them. You can pray for them wherever you are. But I would ask you and invite you and challenge you to remember them. So over the weeks that we've come back, I've been wrestling with this text. I've been trying to figure out what it actually means. That is a lovely promise. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I've had that said to me many times. And in every time I've had that said to me, I thought, that's good. God is on my side and it'll all be all right. And then I'm confronted with the truth that it's not always all right. So what do I do with that text? What do you do with that kind of text when you read it in the Bible? And I suspect there are some people sitting here now who are going through the rivers and the fire. And just in the context of this, the reason Isaiah uses imagery of water and fire, it basically is a mechanism for saying, this is all-encompassing. This means everything you ever will experience. That's water and fire. So the message is, whatever you go through, whatever, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be water, it doesn't have to be fire, whatever you go through, I will be with you. Now, you would love that to be true, wouldn't you? And some of us here now today are probably going through what we might describe as water or fire. And I suspect that some of you who are going through water and fire today might be thinking, so yeah, where is God then? 
And I don't think that's an unreal question to ask. These guys came at the start and said, we want to repent because we've had exactly that attitude. I've never had somebody come to me and say, oh, Ian, I want to repent because I'm angry with God. What I've had people come to me and say is, Ian, I'm angry at God, why isn't he doing it? <laughs> now, that, I'm sure that happens, I'm sure people do it. So I began to think about this story, so I did a little bit of research. The context of Isaiah 43 is in the context of the nation of Israel. You know that story well. God chooses a nation. God says, I want you to be the light to the Gentiles. I want you to model a way that says, if you live God's way, this is how you live. This is the best way to live. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. That's what J. John is. Just ten is the Ten Commandments, and it's God's way of saying, I am the maker. Here's the best way to live. So all through their story, God is saying, come to me, because that's the best way to live. The whole point of Israel was meant to be they were a light to the Gentiles, so that other people would discover the best way to live. That's it. Never really worked, because Israel didn't really do it. So all through their history, and you know this, God says, I love you. They say, that's great. Then they do something, and God says, well, you're not supposed to do that. It doesn't work if you do that. That's not the best way to live. You need to come back. And so you have this whole story going on, and you know the story. And eventually they go into exile. I'm, I take that Isaiah wrote the whole of Isaiah, and he wrote it as predictive prophecy, which means it all happened before the exile. You can read other commentators, and they'll say that's not true. Some of it was written after the exile. I don't agree with them. I think it was all predictive prophecy. In other words, this is happening before the exile happened. So what God is saying to these people is, if you carry on living your life the way you're living your life, it isn't going to go well. Trust me, it won't go well. Remember Ezekiel? Do you remember Ezekiel? The message of Ezekiel was profoundly simple. Come back, it's better that way. Come back, it's better that way. And that's happening in Isaiah. Come back, it's better that way. So what God is saying here is, guys, if you carry on behaving in the way you're behaving, it will go badly for you. And that meant exile. But the promise here is some of the most tender words that God ever speaks in the Old Testament. Because what he's saying is, if you go on doing that stuff, it will go badly for you. But let me tell you this, I will still be with you. I will not let you go. I will not give you up. Now what you have to recognize here is that Israel is the author of their own downfall. They are the ones choosing to do what they're choosing to do and they are the ones who will reap the consequence. Friends, that may be you today. And you might need to face the truth about what is going on in your life. We're very good at blaming God because we have this view in Christian life that if we follow God closely, we will get our first choice world. That is not true, friends. There is no promise ever in the Bible that says, if you follow God closely, everything will be all right. The promise is, if you follow me closely, I will always be with you. I will be with you in the water and I will be with you in the fire, but I will always be with you. Sometimes we're like Israel and we get ourselves in a mess. And God says, well, come back to me because it's better that way. And we go, no, it's all right, I'll do it my own way. And God says, well, when you go through the fire and when you go through the water, I will still be with you. So it may just be that some of us have to face the truth about what's going on in our lives and we are the author of our own issues. 
And then it's up to us to come back. The good news is this. There is no place you can go that is too far for God's love. No one in the Bible, as far as I can make out, ever found the end of God's love. Abraham lied about his wife twice. He never found the end of it. Moses killed an Egyptian. He never found the end of it. David committed adultery and killed her husband. He never found the end of it. The the list is endless. You will never find the end of God's love. He will always be with you. But the challenge is this. Come back because it's better that way. And that's lovely, isn't it? Except it doesn't answer the question I started with, does it? Because these people in Malawi, that flood is no fault of their own. They've done nothing to deserve that. And we know that in life, sometimes things come and we have no control and they are devastating. And and God won't be able to say to us, well, it's because you were doing this. And we do have to be very, very careful when we look at our lives to distinguish between the things that we need to put right because that's the problem, the truth that we need to face up to about ourselves because that's the issue, and the things that are happening around us over which we have no control. And sometimes we need wise people to help us figure out the difference. So I'm still left with this dilemma. I get that in Israel, and God says, I'm I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to give you up. The good news is that that truth is an eternal truth and it's relevant to everything. God will never, ever give up on you. We want our lives to be good, don't we? We want to have all the best things in life. We want to have the good job and the house and the security of a good pension and all that kind of stuff. And if we're not careful, we even live our Christian lives focused on aiming at those things. If you're doing that, God would say, come back, it's better that way. It's not that those things are not important. But when we pursue them, we can take ourselves out of the place that God would want us to be. And that's an ongoing challenge every day for all of us. And if you want, idolatry is anything that takes the place of the place that God rightfully has in your life. So if you pursue anything more than you pursue God, it becomes an idol. That's a really challenging thought. You may want to ask the question this way, what will I really not want to give up? Could I, could I give away everything I've got? How important is it really to me? God probably won't ask you to give it all up. (laughs) But it's about your heart. So how's your heart? You you know there's a lovely um, psalm, 139. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. We're going to sing that after this talk. It's a lovely psalm. That reminds us there is no place we can go which is outside God's life. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I go to the far side of the world, you are there. Even there, your right hand will hold me fast. But God says, come back, it's better that way. So what about the flood in Malawi? And what about the drought in Malawi? 
And what about those things that have happened in your life which have been completely devastating? Or maybe you're facing that devastating truth now. Well, I think that promise in Isaiah still holds. Um, But I think it's not just about what happens when we die. We're all going to have to die. Do you know there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says everybody has to die and wise people think about that. Every time I take a funeral, I discipline myself to think and it's not a morbid thought. Next one I might attend might be mine. How am I going to live in the light of that truth? Sometimes we take passages like Isaiah 43 and because we can't reconcile what actually is happening in the world and to us and what the verses say, we go, oh, I know what the answer is. The answer is, God will keep me safe and I'll go to heaven. Well, brothers and sisters, that is most deeply and profoundly true and you ought to rejoice in that. I sometimes wonder if we think that the world is so good down here, heaven can't be any better, so we never think about it. This is not true. And maybe we ought to spend a bit more time singing and swing low sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. And spend a bit more time focused on heaven and that, then we might live in the light of it here. It is wonderfully true that when you pass through those waters, you will be safe. That's the promise. But I don't think that's good enough. I think it's better than that. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life in all its fullness. And he's not talking about heaven. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea into the promised land, they weren't talking about heaven. It was what God wanted here and now. So it is wonderfully true that when you pass through those waters, when you pass through that fire, you will not be burned and the waters will not sweep over you because God will go through that with you. And one day, friends, we're going to meet in glory. Some of you don't sound very convinced about that. And that's great. And we need to remember that. If that is not true, we have no hope, Paul says. We are the most miserable of all creatures. And looking at some of you on some Sundays, I think that might be true. (laughs) But I do think this. There is no promise in the Bible that your life will be as you want it to be. There is no promise in the Bible that nothing challenging or devastating is going to happen to you. And I'd be very surprised if there isn't one of us here who hasn't had something like that already. You already know that. You don't need me to tell you that. It's true for me too. And I do get up some mornings and think, God, that's so unfair. Why did you let that happen? I still do that. It's because I'm human. But God says, I will be with you. And here's the promise. I will be with you whatever happens. And friends, we would do well to stop kidding ourselves that if we try to follow Christ faithfully... Life will turn out how we want it. That is not to say that God doesn't want to give us good things, because I think he does. God cannot bless sin. So if there is sin in your life, you cannot ask God to bless it. You can't do that. So if you're keeping for yourself what is rightfully God's, and you want God to bless it, he's probably going to say, I'm really sorry, but I can't do that. But God will be with you in everything. There is nothing that will happen where God is not present with you. 
Now, I know the challenge of that is that often it doesn't feel like that, does it? (laughs) And we've all had those experiences where you think, well, I don't know what God's doing, but he's certainly not turned up here. Biblically and theologically, that is not true. God is always present. God is with us. There is no place we can go where his love cannot reach us. I was profoundly challenged by these pastors in Malawi um, because they could sing songs like Bless the Lord, O My Soul, knowing, and they told us this, that while they were with us, they would eat because you very generously provided the money which bought four cows, which we ate over four days. Although we did pass on the bowl of intestines and said, we'll leave that for the experts (laughs) when it came round. But they knew they were going back to places where they would not eat. I'm all right while I'm here because I'm going to have food, but when I go back to my village, there is no food. And yet they could sing, and they would have sung, and if you'd seen the video, you'd have seen them doing this. Africa time in Malawi was Africa time as I understand it. Nothing ever started on time. We were always an hour late and it didn't matter. But when we're, every time we got to the meeting all that you saw, they were already worshipping and they'd been worshipping for an hour. I have never been into this church and I'm always there an hour or two hours before the service. I've never been here when anybody's been worshipping. And they're there. Bang, they don't need the pastor. They don't need the leader. They just get there and they worship. And they would sing, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, even in that context. Because they, they understand that truth. That God is with us now in whatever's happening and God will be with us. And I love these verses. And I do think we have to read scripture together. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with all things, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If it is God who justifies, who then is it that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God as is interceding for us. He does, that's what he's doing every moment of every day. He shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We, consider, uh, we are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not a promise to keep you safe in the way the world thinks. It is a promise that God will go through even when you make bad choices. It is a promise that God will be with you whatever happens. And it is wonderfully a promise that says when we get to the end of this life, which one day we will, my body will one day pack up and go that he will be with me and that one day I will see him in glory. Friends, the truth is I am still wrestling with that and sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and it's still going around in my head thinking, have I missed something? 
But in moments when I grasp it, I find it is deeply and profoundly life-changing. And my, my prayer for myself and my prayer for you would be that more and more and more, day by day, we are able to live in that deep truth. We're going to share communion together this morning and it, and it may be that it's an opportunity for you to come again to God and to say, yeah, this is the bit of life I need to get sorted. This is the thing I, I know I'm wrestling with and I want to bring it to you this morning. And communion is a, is a wonderful place to do that. God meets us. It's, um, it's what he wants to do. So if you know there's something going on in your life, then here's an invitation. And the invitation is come. Come just as you are and God will meet you. Be honest. You don't have to tell anybody else. This is between you and God, isn't it? It might help to pray with someone. Someone would love to do that. Um, If you want to sit in these chairs over here during communion, someone will pray with you, one of our prayer ministry team. If you have a trusted friend or someone you know, you could ask them to pray with you. That would be great. This is community. It may be that there are things that are happening around you or that you hold some um, emotions about things that have happened that actually what will be really good for you is to give them to God and be honest with him. Because the truth is God is here present And whatever's happening, he's promised to be with you. It may be that you don't have the assurance that says, well, when this earthly body decides it's done its thing, um, I don't have any assurance. This is a great place to come and say, God, I want to come before you and give my life to you because I recognize you're with me in all things. You could do that today. We're going to sing a song... um, and it's a song that kind of, it's, oh Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. It's a bit of Psalm 139. But it invites God to come and to be with us. So maybe we take this as a prayer. You don't have to sing this song. The band are going to come and start playing. That's your cue. And um, I'm going to invite you in the time that remains to allow God to do whatever it is that God has begun in your life today. To face honestly the truth about yourself in the light of what you know about God. And one of the things that um, we talked about when we did Joshua and we did some teaching on Joshua when we were in Malawi is this. Allow God to be the hero of your story. Allow God to be the hero of your story. So the rest of this service will be a song We will share communion together and we will spend a short time in worship. We will pray. The children, the young people at some point will come back and join us. But this is God's time. So the invitation is to invite God to be present with you now in whatever is going on in your heart and your mind.